jasoncharles.net. Art, art, and culture. You are listening to Lost Angeles with Laura Craven on jasoncharles.net. This is Laura Craven with Lost Angeles on jasoncharles.net. Today, my special guest is Betsy Handler, docent at the Adamson House in Malibu, California. Hi, Betsy. Hello. We are going to talk about this iconic jewel on the water in Malibu that is a house that now is under the care of the California State Park System, but at one point was the private home of Rhoda and Merritt Adamson. And Betsy is a docent. They give tours to the public Wednesday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. And she'll share with us her knowledge about the history of the house, the family, and what it's like to be a docent there today. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. You're more than welcome. Now, initially, this was a land grant that belonged to the mother and father of Rhoda, Ringe, who became Adamson. Well, I think your listeners might want to know that the property, the land, which, by the way, was, is the Rancho Topanga Malibu at Sequit, about 13,500 acres, 21 miles of coastline, and three miles inland, was originally a Shumash Indian village. Mm-hmm. And in 1802... Jose Tapia, who had been on the Spanish expeditions to explore California, was given a use grant uh, Mm -hmm. by the governor general of California, not a land grant because the king of Spain owned all the land. And the property ultimately passed through to uh, Tapia's granddaughter. And then it was sold in the 1850s to a Matthew Keller, who was able to establish a line of title. Uh, His title was not disputed. And he sold it in 1897 to Frederick Ringe. He sold it for $10 an acre. And Mrs. Adamson is the daughter, uh, Mm -hmm. one of the daughters of Frederick Ringe. Okay, and so where the Adamson house sits now was a 13-acre gift on her wedding to... Merritt Adamson from from her mother from her father because, was, uh, it was dead by the, her father right. Frederick Ringe died in 1905 mm-hmm. and uh, Rhoda and uh, all the women are named Rhoda so it gets a little confusing <laughs> uh, Rhoda Agatha married Merritt Adamson and her mother Rhoda May known her whole life as May gave them 15 acres on which to build the house as a wedding present wow and I know that the house was designed by architect Clement Stiles, but did May or Rhoda have a lot of influence in the design? You know, I don't know that. Mm-hmm. And, and I've asked, I've talked to my fellow docents about that, mm-hmm. and we don't know. Now, it has been suggested that the house may have served in part as a showcase for the Malibu Pottery, which was founded by May. Right. Uh, and that was just south of the Adamson House. That was just house. south of the pier. Oh, I Malibu see. Malibu Pier is about half a mile south on the beach side. The house was finished in 1930. 
The pottery burned in 1931 and was closed in 1932, but there's that one-year overlap. The um, Adamsons used the house as a beach house from 30 to 36 mm-hmm. when they moved in full time. That became their permanent residence in 1936. Correct. So when they weren't in residence there, it's possible that it was opened up to show architects, designers, builders, mm-hmm. you know, what, what could be done with Malibu tile. And it's obvious from, I, I really appreciate the private tour you gave me oh, yeah. of the property, but those tiles are everywhere throughout the house and nowhere more stunning, in my opinion, than in the bathrooms. And there is one bathroom, if I'm not mistaken, that actually is tiles floor to ceiling. The downstairs bathroom in the guest room, which is where mm-hmm. Grandma May stayed when she came to visit, has tile not only, as you said, all around the walls, but two fabulous tile panels on the ceiling. And I agree with you, that's the most spectacular bathroom I've ever seen anywhere. (laughs) It is, it is. And how fortunate that there was this family connection with the tiles, because another, I mean, they just really are everywhere, inside and out, and gorgeous fountains that we can get into. But one of the main fascinating pieces is the Persian rug that is actually made of tile. And so perhaps you could speak a little bit on that, how what the dimensions are and the motivation for that. The, the uh, Persian tile rug, complete with tile fringe, mm-hmm. which I think about every day when I'm straightening the fringes on my rugs, is made up of almost 700 tiles and is positively exquisite. It's in the loggia. I don't know, actually, I don't know the length or width of it off the top of my head, but it's big. And it was designed by a woman who worked for the pottery. And the tiles are so intricately constructed and laid that the grout between the tiles hardly breaks up the design. You can, for example, and the same in the bathrooms, you can follow a vine from one end to the other with hardly a break. It's mm-hmm. really spectacular. The, it, it truly is. And what you're saying about the grout is true also, I noticed, throughout. In the upstairs bathroom that belonged to the daughters of the Adamsons, they have bathroom tile that mirrors the flowering tree that's out the window. And I agree, it's seamless. The grout work is, is just so perfect that it looks like a painting. You're almost. right. That's right. incredible. And I know that in 1977, the house was placed on the National Register of Historic Places and then gained that same state notice in 1985 for California. But there was a long history to get there. And back in the late 60s, L.A. County apparently wanted to tear the house down and make a parking lot for Surfrider Beach. So let's talk a little bit about the political wherewithal it took to stop that from happening. Well, as far as I know, and I don't know the whole story, I must confess, Rhoda Agatha Adamson died in 1962. And at that point, the family donated 134 acres of land to Pepperdine University, uh, where Pepperdine exists today. And through some arrangement that I'm not really aware of, 
the chancellor of Pepperdine and his family lived in the house for about 10 years, from about 62 to 72, somewhere around there. And it was after that, when the, when the state was talking about tearing the house down, that the relatives of the Ringes and the Adamsons, of whom there are many around uh, still, took up arms and convinced the city of Malibu and formed a foundation, and that's what protected the the house. Mm -hmm. And what a great thing, because now it's there and it's for everybody to enjoy, which um, we'll give out the, the hours and the address later on, but I would definitely encourage anyone that's in the area to to go and visit and take a look at it. Now, initially, keeping the public and the government out of Malibu was was a big effort on on the part of the Ringes and the Adamsons, from what I understand. Ultimately, the vast acreage was sold off piecemeal to keep the family kind of afloat, and also, if I'm not mistaken, to fund these lawsuits that were constant and ongoing. You know, they even tried to make Pacific Coast Highway not a thing. And there was a loophole in the law that that stated if they had a private railroad, they could keep that faction out. Well, as I said, Frederick was an immensely successful businessman in Santa Monica and in Los Angeles. He and I believe it was Huntington Hartford developed the West Adams neighborhood where the Ringes built a house. I think Frederick owned most of the Miracle Mile at one point, and uh, he founded an insurance company, and he wanted to escape the hurly-burly of business in Los Angeles and Santa Monica. So he bought this property, and uh, there were only 17 people living on it at the time, settlers slash homesteaders slash squatters, and he didn't want anyone else there. Uh, They put up gates, but they gave the settlers keys so that they could get to their little places. And there were no roads. The only Mm -hmm. way to access the property was along the beach at low tide. Incredible. (laughs) As I said, Frederick died in 1905, and May was determined to follow his wishes. And she insisted on keeping the property private. Well, at this time, we're talking 1920s, there's a, uh, a huge population explosion in LA. The automobile is becoming very, very popular. And there's a theory that if you can spend time in bucolic, beautiful places, you'll be a better person. So there was a movement to open up this property so that people could become better perfect people and ride their automobiles through it. May fought this for 18 years up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and a road through this property was declared a public good, and the state could take the right-of-way by eminent domain, Mm -hmm. which, which they did. So she also did other things that cost a lot of money. So by 1936, she was bankrupt, and she needed she needed money. She had a lot of land, but not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she did was begin to lease what became the Malibu colony. And right. she leased one foot of oceanfront land for $1. And uh, on a 10-year lease, you had to tear down whatever you had built mm-hmm. uh, before the So tenures. these were temporary structures. Well, 
people lived in them, and the people who lived in them turned out to be Hollywood people who were looking for a secluded spot where nobody would bother them. So we have pictures in the museum, which was the garage of the house, of Bing Crosby in front of a very, very modest little house, mm -hmm. and Dolores Del Rio and Joan Crawford and others. In fact, before the 10 years was up, May was selling this land, mm -hmm. and other parcels of, of the property were sold off right. as well. So an early precursor to what it's become now, where a lot of celebrities and very wealthy people are drawn to Malibu. I mean, it, it's absolutely beautiful. I don't beautiful. think you could buy a, a grain of sand for 10 <laughs> No, I think that was an incredible deal. Probably Bing Crosby felt that way. And then for the Adamsons, another revenue stream for them was their Ador Farms. Correct. They had, from what I understand at the time, it was the world's largest herd of Guernsey cows. It, it was a very, very large herd. I don't, I don't know if it was world's large. It may well have mm -hmm. been. And these cows were living in Malibu, or were they in the, no, the, the dairy the, farm in the San Fernando Valley? The dairy farm started in uh, Tarzana, and then I believe moved to, or good chunks of it moved to Camarillo, and your listeners should know that the name of the dairy was A-D-O-H-R. If they write that down and look at it backwards, they'll see it spells Rhoda. Oh, that's a very sweet, a very sweet thing. I remember Ador Farms when I was a kid and always wondered, you know, thinking it was a family name, what was the origin of that? You know, was it Scandinavian? Was it, and, but it makes perfect sense. Rhoda backwards is Ador Farms. And I did want to mention here that since we were talking about how it almost became a parking lot, that the the first African-American director of the California State Parks, Herbert Rhodes, is the person who overruled their decision to turn it into a parking lot and claimed, again, that for the betterment of all the residents and visitors, that it should remain, it should be open to the public and the grounds, which are absolutely stunning, should be enjoyed and, and walked upon by the general public. So we all have Herbert Rhodes to thank for that decision. Indeed. It was very, very wise. Okay, at this point, I wanted to turn the conversation over to you a little bit, Betsy. Find out your motivation to be a docent for the Adamson House and how you came to to know it and love it and share your knowledge of this amazing property with the public. I was a docent at the Getty Villa for two and a half years, and I was leading school groups, and I enjoyed it quite a lot until I didn't quite enjoy it so much anymore because, you know, kids, elementary school kids, can be a little difficult at times. So then I was looking for something else, and I must have seen a notice that the Adamson House was looking for docents, and to be perfectly honest with you, I had no idea what the Adamson House was. Oh. Even though I have now lived here for 34 years, although I don't live in Malibu. So I applied, and the curator, Damien Ruddy, accepted me as a docent. And I went through the training, and I read as much as I possibly could about the family and the house, and I became a docent. And I, I just 
love it. The setting is magnificent. Yes. The house is magnificent. You meet people from all over. Just last Wednesday, we had someone from Melbourne, Australia, from Germany, and another foreign country. I can't remember where. My fellow docents are lovely people, and it's a very relaxed, very nice atmosphere. We don't have a script. We docents don't have a script. We can highlight the things that we are interested in. Mm -hmm. I, as you know, because I did this with you, I love the sconces in all the (laughs) the the different rooms. Incredibly unique. Point them out to, to the visitors, and it's just a very pleasant place to to be. Wow. Well, they are really, really fortunate to have you. Absolutely. I have to say what I loved from my tour with you is when you would point out things like in the bookshelves that line many walls, there are the original books that the Adamsons read still shelved there now. And the radio that they listened to, they heard about the attack on Pearl Harbor still sits in the, the living room where their friend Will Rogers would come and visit and the chair is still there. I mean, these are small details that really make a great impact. And Mrs. Adamson's clothes are still, and shoes are in the closet. And you get a sense, I hope we docents give people a sense that this was a real house that real people lived in uh, with their children. Right, and I do have to say, I mean, I know we've touched on they were land rich perhaps you know, a little cash strapped, but they were an extremely wealthy family and their three children were expected to do chores daily. And I really, I'm charmed by that. Even though they had staff, they had servants, they even had a a cook in the kitchen that forbade children. So because of that, they have what I love the name of the snack kitchen on the second floor where the children were allowed to be with their mother and and make snacks. (laughs) And I really... I like that. And And there was also serious discipline that children were required and expected to be at the dining room table precisely at certain times for lunch, breakfast, for dinner. They were expected to be groomed and washed and properly clothed, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess those rules were maintained. Wow. I also wanted to talk about, there was one part of our tour that I loved where you pointed out the donkey window for me. And if you could talk about the reason why it's named that and what the room that the window looks into from the outside was for. Happily. Um, To do that, I have to explain that the house is modeled after an Andalusian Southern Spanish farmhouse. And uh, of course, the Moors ruled Spain for hundreds of years. And the donkey window is a Moorish arch Uh, It comes to a point at the top that you see the same arch in the fireplaces. It's called a donkey window because in Andalusia, in uh, years, centuries ago, probably, in the wintertime, the family would move upstairs and they would bring their animals in to the downstairs area. The heat from the animals would rise and help keep the family warm, and it would also keep the animals warm. Now, the Ringes did not bring, or the Adamsons did not bring their animals into the the living room and the dining room have um, donkey windows, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's part of the Moorish flavor of the house. Oh, I see. 
Okay. Well, I, I love that about how they are a heat source. I mean, that's perfect. So I, I wanted to wrap up at this point, but just remind everyone listening that the public is able to tour this amazing jewel in Malibu Wednesdays through Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. There is a, a nominal fee, but $7. Well, well worth the $7. <laughs> and if you don't want to go in and tour the house, you are able to go onto the grounds and walk around. And it is absolutely stunning. I would encourage anyone to check it out. You could go to adamsonhouse.com org and the address there on pacific coast highway is 23200 west pacific coast highway and i would just like to extend our great thanks to you betsy for sharing your knowledge and your time with us and i will certainly be back to tour the house again very soon you're most welcome thank you for having us thank you You've been listening to Lost Angeles with Laura Craven on jasoncharles.net. jasoncharles.net Deep, deep talk, talk, deep, deep sounds. sounds. That was so deep.